My son turned four this week, which is really exciting, and it's really a great thing because, well, frankly, it means he's not three anymore. And if you've had a three-year-old, you know why that's great news. It's fun because he's moving, you know, he's not a baby anymore. Now he's moving out of that toddler age. He's, he's becoming a little kid. And so for the first time, we bought him little kid birthday presents. Not, not baby gifts, not toddler gifts. Little kid presents. So he got a new, uh, like, like a two-wheeled bicycle. Still has training wheels on it, but it's a two-wheeled bicycle. He had outgrown the, the little radio flyer trike. He was riding around the, the driveway, and his knees were banging into the handlebars every time. We were like, okay, we're terrible parents, and it's time to get the kid a bike. And so we, we got him a, a two-wheeled uh, bike. We upgraded him. He's now in regular Legos instead of the giant Duplo things, right, which is cool because I like to play with Legos. So that's good news, good news for me. It's fun watching him play with, with all these big boy toys. There's so much freedom in it. He, he, he has so much excitement. He sits up on that bicycle, and he's got this proud smile, and it's just like the world is at his hands. But there's also a tension there. There's also a struggle with these new toys. It's harder to ride a big bike. He's not quite big enough. He has to get used to it. He's got to learn how to balance it. He's got to grow into it. So yeah, eventually, as he grows, he won't be so awkward anymore. He'll master the two-wheeled bike. And then we'll take off the training wheels, and then he'll master it without the training wheels. And then, Lord help all of us, someday he'll operate a motor vehicle. And hopefully he'll learn to master that as well. And at each stage and age, it's fun and it's exciting, but it's new, which means it's clumsy and it's awkward and it's difficult. As we're going through the book of John, I feel like John uh, continues to hit these new milestones, gives us more to, more to chew on. And in in all the excitement, there's also an awkwardness. There's a challenge. There's a change and, and a clumsiness. Remember, he started us out small. He said, there's this Jesus. We're not going to call him Jesus yet. We're just going to call him the Word. And we learn that even before time began, he existed with God. In fact, he was God. He is God. He is the giver of life. Next, we meet a guy named John the Baptist. We're still not ready to meet Jesus yet. We've got to meet John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to come and pave the way for Jesus. Finally, we get the introduction, and he calls him by name. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus offers us an invitation, and it's not a demand. It's just an invitation we don't even get a lot of detail. It's just simply come and see. Just come and find out a little bit about me. Come and see what I'm all about. Once we've done that, we get another invitation. That invitation was follow me. Follow you where? It, it doesn't matter. It's just will you, will you follow me? Will you come with me? A little later, Jesus performed a miracle. 
And it was come and see, and then it was follow me. And now for those of you that follow me, now it's believe in me. Believe in what? Just trust me. Just believe in me. We met a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had questions. Jesus, what does it look like to follow you? Jesus says you have to be born again. What is that? It just means that there's this God in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And whoever believes in him has eternal life. And as we move through John, we see more of what it is to follow Jesus. And at each phase, it's like my son sitting on that on that two-wheeler, it's exciting. The, the potential is incredible. It's exhilarating as we take steps closer to Jesus, as we learn more about Jesus and learn to know him more. It's an exhilarating, refreshing feeling. But it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable. And as we're growing, we're standing on new ground, and so it's a little bit, it's a little bit shaky. Today, we're going to get another piece of information of what it is to follow Jesus. And before we go there, before we jump in, I just want to warn you, it's going to feel a little clunky. It's going to be a little bit awkward. I'm going to push on you a little bit today. Jesus is going to call you out a little bit further today. And yet what we've seen this entire Follow Me series the thing that has stuck with me in such a powerful way is that we have this Jesus, author of creation, power, and authority over all things. And yet he is gentle. He is patient. And where he calls us, there's no reason to be scared. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up to John chapter 4. John 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to jump into the middle of a conversation that we started last week between Jesus and a woman he meets at the well. If you haven't heard that message, I would encourage you to go online or in the app and listen to that. Jesus meets this woman. She's a Samaritan, we find out. And just by being a Samaritan, she is an enemy to the Jews. Jesus should not be talking to this woman. And she's at the well during the middle of the day. It would have been typical for um, women to go to the well in the coolness of the morning. They would go out there and they would get the water that they would need for the day. And then they would return when it cooled down in the evening and they would get the water that they needed for the evening, for the night. They would typically go in groups. But this woman, for whatever reason, is at the well in the heat of the day at noon. And she's by herself. And the fact that she's by herself tells us that she's probably an outcast. The other women don't really want her with them. And it's at the well that she meets this, this Jewish man. And he says the weirdest thing. He says that he has some water. And if she will drink it, she will never thirst again. He says everyone who drinks, and he points to the well, he says everyone who drinks this water well, you're going to be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks of the water that I have to offer will never thirst. I mean, we know there's no water that, you know, you take a drink, you have a glass of it, and, and you never thirst again. Because Jesus isn't talking about a physical water, a physical thirst. He's talking about quenching her spiritual thirst. And so verse 15 
is where we're going to jump into this conversation, right in the middle of it. Go there with me. Let's see what, what's happening. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I want you to see this. Part of her response is obvious. Hey, we're standing by a well that I've had to walk out to, and you're telling me there's this water that you can give me that I will drink and never thirst again. Like, I want that. It's like you're walking into the gym, and somebody goes, hey, I have this thing, and you never have to go on the elliptical again. You're like, give me that now, right? So part of her response is obvious. But I think there's more going on. It's not just about water. Do you see what she says? She says, give me the water so I don't have to keep coming here. And I think there's something in the word here. It's more than just the locale. It's not about walking to the well. It's about what this whole well experience means to her. It's embarrassing for her to go to the well during the middle of the day by herself. It's a reminder that she's not one of them. The, 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 the soccer moms in their minivans picking their kids up from private school, they snicker at her. They whisper, but it's a little too loud. She hears it. And it's starting to wear her down. And it's just, it's just tiring being her. So it's not, it's not just give me water so that I'm not thirsty. It's please give me out of this shame. Like Nicodemus, we talked about Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, what stopped him from being satisfied was religion. It stopped him from following Jesus was religion. What stops this woman from being satisfied is her shame. It gets in the way. And she's tired. I don't know if you've ever felt that way where you just go, I'm tired. I'm tired of being me. I'm tired of living this life. It's wearing me down. That's her. She says, give me something so I don't have to come here anymore because here hurts me. And as Jesus so often does, he listens. And then he takes the conversation in a little bit different direction, in a little deeper direction. Verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 16. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And what I would expect, and she would be completely justified, I would expect her to run away, crying, feeling even more shame than she felt before. 
or maybe to just load up and deck him because it sounds like he deserves it. But remember that Jesus is gentle and he's patient. So her response in verse 19 is, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Please understand who this woman is. I told you that her own people don't even want her. She can't go to the well with the other women. We find out at least in part why that is. She's been married five times. Now she's shacking up with number six. A little context here. We don't know if these marriages ended in divorce. We don't know if they ended in death. But certainly in the first century, a woman would not divorce a man. A husband might file for divorce, but a woman would not file for divorce. Either way, this woman has been abandoned by five different men. And if even any of them are divorces, maybe all of them are through divorce. Five different men have said, I know you, and I don't want you. I know you and you're not good enough. I know you, and you're not valuable to me. I know you, and you're not beautiful, and you're not worthy. I know you, and there's gotta be something better out there. Imagine the brokenness this woman feels when Jesus goes right after her that very thing that she's ashamed of, that thing that, that makes her an outcast, that thing that floats around in her mind, five husbands, he goes right after it. But the difference between Jesus and every other man she's ever met is that he's patient and he's gentle and he doesn't condemn her and he doesn't mock her, and he doesn't humiliate her. This woman has some serious sin in her life. Now, whether it's her decisions and, and, her, and, it, and it's her sin, or whether it's sin that's been done to her, she is incredibly impacted by sin. And Jesus goes right after it, and he exposes it but he doesn't embarrass her. He doesn't humiliate her. If you'd like to take notes, give you a couple things to write down. Anytime we have a conversation about, about sin and shame, there's a few things that we need to come back to that we need to remember. Write down these things. Number one, I'm just going to rip through them. Number one is that Jesus knows my sin. He knows it. There's no secrets. He knows the very depth of it. Knows it all. He knows your sin. Number two, Jesus isn't scared off by my sin. So there's nothing that you have done or could do where Jesus goes, oh, that's, I don't want any part of that. He knows my sin. He isn't scared off by my sin. Number three, Jesus died for my sin. It's important it's important that we remember this when we have a conversation that deals with sin or shame is that we don't have to live in it because Jesus died for that sin and shame. 
And so this is what the Samaritan woman experiences. Unlike every other man she's ever met, Jesus says, I know you. I know the very worst things about you. And I love you. And if, if you can step into her shoes, if you could step into the story for a moment and, and feel that, that there is someone who, who knows you, who knows the very worst things about you, the very worst things you've done, the very worst thoughts you've had, who knows all of the embarrassment you've experienced, all the shame that you feel, all the disappointment, all the letdown that you have ever lived through, who knows the depth of your sin, and he still says, I love you. He doesn't condemn you. If you can feel that, not just know it with your mind, feel it in your heart and in your soul. If you can feel that, that is what it's like to meet and to know this Jesus. It's that love that motivates him to go and die on a cross for your sins and for mine. It's that love that goes, I know you. I know every part of you. And I love you. That's, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you've felt that. I hope that you've experienced that, the weight of that love in a real way. If you haven't, if you're like, this is new information to me, I want you to know that whatever you've heard before about Jesus, this is Jesus, who, who never casts anyone aside, who never dismisses anyone, who never puts people on the outside looking in, who says to every one of us, I know you and I love you. That, oh, that's profound. That's good news. Now keep going with me a little bit because here's where Jesus starts to push on us. But he's gentle and he's patient 